find out that you're a pastor, they ask you, uh, oh, Easter, are you excited about Easter? And then they always say, there's a lot of pressure there. And, and it's true, there is. Um, but I, I love Easter for, for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons for me personally that it's best is it's the time when I get to invite people to church who I wouldn't ordinarily invite. And for the most part, they come. And, and I'll tell you why that's meaningful to me. Uh, it's awkward when you try to invite someone to something that you do. Do you know what I mean? Um, but, but the idea that someone would come and something good would happen moves me. I like people. I do. I love people. When I meet people and I get to know them, whoever they are, and uh, the gift it is to me to be a part of a community where new folks can come in and, and folks who aren't church people can come and be together in a morning like this. It's very meaningful. Um, so I was just so glad. On the first Easter, it was, it was in the evening. And the disciples, the friends of Jesus, they were all together in a room in Jerusalem in the house. They had the doors locked. And the doors were locked, they were afraid of the authorities. That morning, on Sunday morning, it was discovered that Jesus was not in the grave. His, his grave was empty. The, roll, the stone had been rolled away, and his body wasn't there. Now, throughout that first day, that first Easter Sunday, there were conflicting reports that were spreading in the city about what had happened. A woman named Mary, who had loved Jesus, she was there early in the morning, she told her friends that the reason Jesus' body wasn't in the grave was that he was alive. She said, I spoke to him in the garden. Now, she, she mistook him for the gardener when she first saw him. But that's what she told her friends. Now, there are other stories, too. There were some who were saying, no, what happened is on Saturday night, the followers of Jesus, they were, they, they came into the graveyard after nightfall, when the guards were asleep, they rolled the stone away. They took his body, and then they made up this story to try to, like, control people. That's what happened. And now it's the evening, and these friends of Jesus are together, and they are trying to figure out what should we believe. Every person who seriously considers what Christians believe, at one time or another, asks that same question, what should we believe? So they were there in that room with the doors locked when Jesus himself appeared there with them. And he stood among them. He looked at them right in the face. And he said to them, he said to them, peace be with you. Shalom. Which is peace in every way that a human being can experience peace. When absolutely everything is just as it should be. Imagine that for Imagine emotional peace. Uh, you're not anxious. You're not stressful or worried, but you're at peace. Imagine uh, mental peace. Your mind isn't running at night. You, you lie down and you go right to sleep. You're, you're, you're not constantly coming back to that thing that you regret or that you're afraid of. Imagine physical peace. There's no threat to your well-being or the well-being of others around you. Imagine spiritual peace that you are right with God, and somehow your heart knows it. Can you imagine what that would be like? If you're a skeptic and you're here this morning, if you would think, you know, it was made up, it had to be made up, that stuff doesn't happen, try this for just a moment with me. Try to imagine that it was true, that there on that 
great teacher. Nobody taught like him. You've never met anyone who had the kind of compassion and love for unlovable people that this guy had. And so you decided to go along with him. And for three years, you and your friends saw him over and over again, conquering hatred and cruelty with kindness and grace. Nobody had the wisdom that this guy had. His ethics, his vision for life, his way of moving through crowds, it was just stunning. And now, you were there on Friday when you saw them crucify him. And everything you'd hoped for went away. Do you know what that's like? When everything you'd hoped for went away? But then, just picture, on Saturday all day, you don't know what to do. Sunday night, you're together with your friends. Some people are saying he's alive. Other people are saying it's all made up. And then he appears there right in your face. Can you imagine how good that would be? Here, this is an aside. But some of you in this room have lost loved ones to death recently. Your husband, who should be with you in church right now, is gone. Or your grandfather, your dad. Oh, and this year I've walked with people in this congregation who've lost beloved family members to death, and there's nothing worse. But listen now, Jesus comes and says, peace be with you to each and every one of us. What those disciples learned in that moment, when, when he was there with them, was that even though death came on Friday, death couldn't hold him down. And just as he conquered death, now they understood the promise which he had made to them, which is anyone who dies in Christ, though that person dies, they'll live forever. Imagine that experience. Let me just say, if you can imagine it even a little bit, you should believe it. You should trust it. Jesus brought that when he said peace to those people there. And if you haven't lost someone and you love to death, someday you will. When he appeared, everyone in that room, everyone in that room had a heart full. You should have them too. Now, this is important. It's a detail that doesn't get talked about a lot. But on that evening when Jesus appeared, not everyone was in the room. You know how many apostles there were, the special ones that Jesus appointed? This is where you get to show off in church on this or something. How many? Twelve, thank you. There were only eleven of them in the room that night. Thomas wasn't with them because he was out on his own. Some people need to process grief by themselves. He was there when they put the nails into Jesus' hands. He saw with his own eyes. He was there when one of the soldiers walked up and pierced Jesus' side with a spear. He was there when Jesus died. This is important. Christians don't believe that Jesus appeared to be dead and then was resuscitated. He was dead. Thomas saw it with his own eyes. He was there, but he was not there on that evening when Jesus showed up and appeared to all his friends. And, and, and the story is actually recorded in John chapter 20. Here, this is John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. They were in the room together in their grief, and Jesus appeared. Thomas was walking through the city streets of Jerusalem in the dark by himself, brokenhearted. He must have been thinking, why did I put so much of my hope into Jesus? Because it wasn't true. He put everything he had in there, and it was gone now. I can't even imagine what the grief must have been like. But he was not there when Jesus showed up. And watch this. He 
comes back to that room. This is verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not Their story wasn't enough for him. He knew what he lived through, and he heard what they had to say, but he didn't convince him. He could not believe it, and he would not believe it. He said that, I will not believe. Now, you know someone who won't believe, don't you? Don't we all know someone who won't believe? You know, on Easter Sunday, some people who come to church won't believe. Pretend 
in order to control people. The, the prominent religious leaders who have no ethics whatsoever, and they don't walk the way they talk. The, the, the celebrity pastor uh, who, who uses his power to influence and abuse people. Or the politician who twists God up in order to get votes. When someone says that's not real, which they should, and then decides that they don't believe in the real God, that is an unnecessary loss because Aslan is real, and Aslan is good, and Aslan is present for our good. And the truth about Jesus is that he is real, and he is good, and he is present for our good. Thomas is exemplary for us. Did you notice what Thomas did with his doubt? Did you see what he did with him? He brought it directly to the community of faith. He didn't hide it. He told them directly, I won't believe. And in this case, he's exemplary because many of us would have learned that in order to belong in a Christian community, if you don't believe like everybody else, the best thing to do is to pretend Thomas is not there. And neither should we. Here. What matters with faith often be this sense that if I believe that I belong, when you choose to pretend and belong because of it, you don't actually belong because it's not the real you. Thomas is also exemplary in another way. He doesn't just decide to stop hanging around the community. He comes back and he's with them nonetheless. And I'll tell you, I see this everywhere I look these days. People have been led to believe that the best thing to do when you don't think like other people is to separate from them and just surround with yourself with people who think exactly like you. And can't you see how much we lose when we do that? Thomas doesn't do that either. He stays around. He stays around and is honest about his doubts. And what his friends do with this fact is exemplary for all of us here who do believe. Because not only does Thomas teach the doubter what the doubters should do, but his friends teach those of us who believe what we are responsible for, and it's easy to miss. Look at what happens next in the text. It's verse 26. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. A week later means it was Sunday. The earliest Christians gathered on the day that Jesus rose from the dead because in their minds that was the most important day. And so it's a week later in the same place where Jesus had appeared. And the reason they're gathered there together is they are celebrating the resurrection together. They are excited to be in the presence of one another as they believe. And at the same time, Thomas, who won't believe, is also with them there. Do you see it? And what that means is somehow those who believe have managed to create an atmosphere that is welcoming to those who do not believe. And that's not something to take for granted. They have not, this is very important, they have not decided the way that we'll welcome doubters is by removing any reference to things that they have a hard time believing in. Do you know that some churches try to do that? believe like that, let's not talk about it. That would make them uncomfortable. That is a strategy. That's not what they do. They want to be true to themselves. And they know that Jesus is alive and it's the very best thing that they've ever experienced. And so they celebrate it. And at the same time, they've managed to create a community that does not have belief as a prerequisite for belonging. Because Thomas is there even as he doesn't believe. Do you see that? And this ought to be a challenge for those of us who come together here each Sunday as Renaissance Church. How should we behave? We should 
celebrate the resurrection without creating an environment that makes people who can't believe in it think that they're not welcome. That might be difficult to do, but it's definitely not impossible. They did it right here. Do you see it? We can do it too. Now, what happens next teaches us another lesson which we need to believe. And it is this. That it's the doubter will choose not to pretend and not to run away. And if the community creates an atmosphere where welcome persists, then the rest will be managed by Jesus. It's very easy to think that it's up to us to convince people who don't believe that they should believe. I know this because I try to do it all the time. I do. And let me be frank about this. The reason that I want people to believe is because when you believe, you come to life in a new way. Can any of you uh, who believe remember what it was like in those days when you didn't? Or in those days when you had believed, but then you walk away from belief and then you've come back to it. Do you know the difference? And it's not, listen, this is important, it's not that when you believe everything goes your way. No, it's much more complex than that. Life still falls apart. People still disappoint you. You still disappoint yourself. But there's something different when you believe. And that's what I want for people. That's what those friends wanted for their friend Thomas. But here, what happens next shows them and us and me. And it's not up to us to make anyone believe we can't do that. Here, look at this. They're together a week later. This is 26B. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Sound familiar? It's the same thing he had said the last time that they gathered to, to worship. Shalom in every way. No one else knows. What's in your heart? And how you need Shalom? Nobody knows that. You know when you're having a hard time with someone I know what you're going through. It's never true. Strictly speaking, it's not. But Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He knows what you're carrying into your, your, in, in your heart here this morning. And he says, peace be with you to them. It is exactly the same as the week before, with one exception. This time, Thomas is there too. So Thomas gets to hear Jesus say, peace be with you. He gets to witness that. Now, did you remember what Thomas said he needed in order to believe? He did not say, unless you can provide me with convincing evidence and a very airtight argument, I won't believe. He doesn't say that. Unless you can guide me to a well-written book that's 150 pages or less that makes a case for Christ, I'm not going to believe. No, he doesn't say, you... You have to do this or that. He says, unless I, he doesn't even say, unless Jesus appears and says, peace be with me. He wanted to see the hands on the side. And what happens next? He shows us the kind of God that Jesus is. 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Jesus is so kind and so gracious. Thomas verbalized precisely what he required in order to believe, and it was that he would have a direct personal experience with Jesus. And Jesus heard that and gave him exactly what he needed in order to believe. If you doubt, you have to be sincere here. If you doubt, tell God what you need to believe from your heart, even if you're not sure. Tell him, I need this. 
don't be uh, outlandish. Sometimes people make these sort of crazy demands of God. Don't do that. But here Jesus comes and gives Thomas exactly what he needs. Why? Because Jesus loves Thomas. He loved him when he followed him. He loved him when he wouldn't believe. He'll go on loving him forever. And so Jesus appears and gives him just what he needs to have faith. He, he doesn't just do that. He also gives him a command. And it's right there at the end. Look, do not doubt, but believe. And Jesus said that again for a reason. Because Jesus knows what's best for Thomas. And he knows what's best for you. And he knows what's best for me, personally. And doubt, when it's there, is something that you should acknowledge. You shouldn't pretend. But it's also not something that is meant to grow in your heart forever. It doesn't bear the kind of fruit that nurtures and nourishes your soul. It doesn't bear the kind of fruit, listen to me now, that God will take from you and give to other people to change their lives for the better. And what God wants is to bless the entire world through those who come to faith. And so I say, Christian says to you this morning, the same thing that Jesus said to Thomas, do not doubt, but believe. I say it with humility. I know that I can't convince you to believe. I, I, I'm actually quite sure that that's good, that that's how God arranged things. I do. I think it's really good. It's a terrible thing when someone believes that they have the power to control the fate ultimately of another person and turns people into monsters. But, oh, I just... I wish for deep faith and, and abiding confidence and hope in the sense of how beloved you are for all of you. I wish that for the ones of you who I know and who I've shared a little of your stories and who I've prayed for. I also wish that for those of you who I don't know and I'm seeing you maybe for the first time this morning. If you thought, after this morning, the Bible's kind of cool, maybe I'll start reading it, but I don't know where to start. Let's imagine that happens, okay? My advice would be pick up right after this story ends in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, the author who wrote these stories, he says something that's really cool. He says, now, there were many, many other things that Jesus did that I'm not going to write down in this book. In fact, the, the world couldn't contain all the books if I were to, to try to record everything that he did. But the things that I have included, I've written them here so that you would believe. And believing, you would have life in his name, that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what John wanted from us, that we would hear these stories. And then our hearts would open up and say, you know what, there has, a deliverer has come. That's what Messiah means. It's God's anointed deliverer. The prophets of Israel spoke about God's anointed deliverer who would come and, and answer the question in your heart, have I been abandoned by the ultimate, if there is one, the answer to that is no. God has come in Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, to meet you exactly where you are, to embrace you and lift you up from where you would otherwise languish apart from his grace and mercy and give you life. And believing that, trusting that, gives you life in the name of the Son of God, in Jesus' name. And that's why these stories were recorded. You, you ought to believe. But after the encounter that Thomas has with Jesus, after the freedom to touch the wounds, Thomas answers Jesus. This is verse 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus as God directly, and it's Thomas right here. 
one that we know of as the doubter is the one who expresses the most robust understanding of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus gave him what he needed. And by the way, that is what Christians believe, that Jesus is God incarnate. That, that God didn't decide to keep his distance from this messed up world, but instead has come right into it to live as a person. With all of the bitter disappointments that humanity has for us, and to walk that road all the way to the end. To conquer evil and wickedness and hatred and all of that malevolence by taking it on himself and burying it away from, from humanity so that we can be free. And here Thomas says, My Lord and my God, isn't that magnificent? And then Jesus adds one last thing, and this is where we'll end as well. Verse 29, Jesus says to him, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Jesus said this because he knew that he wasn't going to be appearing to everyone like he appeared to Thomas. And he was thinking about you and about me. People who would be invited to believe without having the experience that Thomas had. That word blessed, it just means in every way experiencing well-being. That's what it means.
that what we need to believe is also known to you just as well as you do what Thomas Thomas needs. God, help us resist the temptation to hide. Help us resist the temptation to stay away. Help us come so that you can overcome our doubt in Christ. For those who are joyful and glad today, whose faith is strong, we thank you. With gratitude in our hearts, we remember the people that you've put in our lives who've helped us believe. Our moms and our dads, our friends, the pastors who have given us to know, the leaders. Help us bear the weight of grief that comes when we see people that we love deeply not believing and suffering in this world. Help us resist the temptation to try to take on your responsibility just to make yourself happy. And help us be good witnesses in the way that we love you. Thank you for the day that is ahead.